This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. God does that because the only way for a sinful man to be helped by God is for man to confess his sin, to turn away from his sin, try to undo his sin, and promise to not sin. That's the only way. And all of that will never happen in a person unless the person sees where he is, in a, miserable in a state of sin. And so God asked Adam the question, where are you? In Genesis 3, 9. And this is the question that Christ is asking Judas in verse 50. Verse 50, why have you come? Because Christ is ever the Savior asking, trying to deliver man from his sins. That's why he is Jesus. He's named Jesus because he shall deliver from sins. Now, this very personal, this very private time between Judas and Jesus was over in a moment. It was gone. And now the arrest proceeds forward in verse 50. Verse 50, then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. It just seems so strange to us to read these words. First, it's strange that all the people there arresting Jesus, they had no fear. They had no fear at all. You know, Saul, King Saul, was a bitter enemy of David. He's all, he was always trying to kill David. But when David thought about trying to stop Saul from killing him, David used a particular phrase over and over again to express what it would mean for Saul to be harmed. And that's a phrase that David actually said to Abishai. Abishai in 1 Samuel 26, 9, 1 Samuel 26, 9, when David said to Abishai, destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And then when a person came to David and figured that he had great news for David because he, David, he figures, oh, David's gonna be relieved and David's gonna be glad to learn that Saul is, been killed, and that this person was gonna, thought he'd get a reward because he was gonna come to David. He came to David and said, I killed him. I killed Saul. But David said to him in 2 Samuel 1.14, 2 Samuel 1.14, David said unto him, 
how wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? That's the question that we wonder when we read in verse 50, verse 50, then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. We wonder, the question of 2 Samuel 1.14, 2 Samuel 1.14, we wonder, how come? He says, how come you are not afraid to stretch forth your hand against the Lord's Christ? But looking at the time when those, people, when those men there did raise their hand to, to grab Jesus, the, the Lord's Christ, they weren't afraid. They weren't afraid because they so often had tried to do that in the past, and then he evaded them. He escaped out of their hands. So now, finally, when they got him, we can hear them, in essence, wanting to yell out, we got him, we got him. And when we read in verse 50, how they laid their hands on Jesus and took him, we think of how God said about his people, the Jewish people, when they were in the Sinai Desert, having come out of Egypt, and it says in Psalm 105, 14, Psalm 105, 14, he suffered no man to do them wrong. He reproved kings for their sakes, saying, touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. So God said about the Jewish people, about Israel, in Psalm 105, 15, touch not mine anointed, don't touch them. That meant that God spared Israel from harm but here in verse 50, we see that Christ, God's anointed, God's Messiah, is being grabbed, he's being taken away, and we see that he spared Israel, but he didn't spare his own son. Romans 8.31, Romans 8.31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him? also freely give us all things. The proof that God is for us is in verse 50. Is in verse 50, then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. That was Jesus Christ who they were taking. That was the same Jesus Christ who is spoken about in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That was the same Jesus Christ they were taking whose face displayed the glory of God. The enemies of God had the glory of God in their hands, and that was a fulfillment of the prophecy in Psalm 78:61. Psalm 78:61 that God delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. That's what happened. You know, it's so interesting. To me, it was always interesting when I would be in Japan. I used to go to, we had an office there for 10 years. I used to go to, for since 1982, I went to Japan every year, sometimes twice a year. Spent some time in Japan and had an office. And I loved to go to Japan because I wanted to bring the gospel to the Japanese businessmen just for a break from bringing the gospel to the Jews, I decided to go to the other side, people that didn't look at all like Jews with their squinted eyes and all that, but I found it so enjoyable for me. Refreshing, I guess I'd say. Anyway, it was so interesting to me that when I would try to explain to them that they were sinners, 
they would say, what is sin? And then I would look and check in and realize there's no Japanese word for sin. There's no Japanese word for sin. But the word to express sin in Japanese is the word tsumi. Tsumi, which means crime. Oh, there's a word for crime, all right. Lots of laws in Japan. You break the law, tsumi, a violation of the law. And what we see in verse 50 is Christ arrested for tsumi. Christ was being arrested for crimes. Christ was being arrested for crimes against God's law. And when Christ would be whipped later, Christ will be punished for tsumi, for crimes. Only not his crimes, our crimes. And when he was arrested, he wasn't arrested for his crimes, he was arrested for our crimes. And when Christ was killed on a cross, will be killed on a cross, he will be put to death for our tsumi, our crimes. And Christ is, so Christ is arrested as a prisoner for our crimes so that we would not be arrested for our crimes, so that we could go free. John 8, 36, John 8, 36, he said, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And we look at ourselves and we say, free? Really? We're free? We can just go free? We are the, yes, we are the criminals against God's law. We are the sinners. How can we just go free? Because verse 15, verse 50, begins to answer the questions. We go free because of Romans 8.2, Romans 8.2. Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So what we're seeing in verse 50 is why we walk, why we walk free, why we walk away from being arrested and punished by God for our crimes, our crimes of sin against God. Someone had to pay for our crimes of sin against God, and Christ stepped forward and said, me, I will pay for their crimes of sin against God. And what Christ said when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, so revealing when he said in John 18, 7, John 18, 7, then ask ye them again, whom seek ye? They said, Jesus of Nazareth, and then John 18, 8, John 18, 8. Jesus answered, if I've told you that I am he, Therefore, you seek, if therefore you seek me, let go, these go their way. Those words, if therefore you seek me, let these go their way, let them go, let them walk free. With that statement, Christ is like a, a mother hen in a fire that spreads her wings over his followers and says, I'll take the heat, I'll take the fire, I'll die in the fire but under my wings will walk out free from the fire the chicks that I protect. Just imagine the words of Christ in John 18.8, John 18.8. If you seek me, let these go their way. Being heard, those words being heard in the eternal hall of justice. You know, we got a big place downtown, the, the California Supreme Court, the hall of justice across the street a couple the Federal Hall of Justice is where courts are, federal court, state court. But in both the federal court and the state court there, downtown San Diego, there's another court, a higher court 
a higher court of appeals. But now just imagine the eternal hall of justice where there is no higher court of appeals. And the awful words that heard in that eternal hall of justice where the judges heard, guilty, be cast into hell to suffer for eternity. And those words heard over and over again. And then comes a small group of followers of Christ. They put their trust in Christ. Comes time for their judgment. Christ steps forward as their advocate with the words of John 18.8, John 18.8. If therefore you seek me, let these go free. Let these go their way. There's only one reason why a crowd with their swords and their clubs in the Garden of Gethsemane was able to arrest Christ. And that's because the arrest of Christ in the Garden was Acts 2.23, Acts 2.23. Jesus, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Christ was arrested on there. Christ was judged, Christ was punished, not ultimately because it was the determinate fixed purpose of the Sanhedrin, the highest court of the Jewish people, but Christ was arrested, judged, and punished because it was the definite fixed purpose of God to save us from being arrested, judged, and punished for eternity in hell. Why did God do that for us? Why? Because of John 3.16, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth into him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's why when we look at the cross, we can look at the cross and we can see the cross as if it had a big bow on it and a card from God that simply said, to you from God with love. As the hymn says, tis mystery all, the immortal dies? Who can explore his strange design? In vain, the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. Tis mercy all, let earth adore, let angel minds inquire no more. Tis mercy all, let earth adore, let angels minds inquire no more. So Jesus has been arrested, but wait, here comes one of the disciples. <laughs> and along comes Peter. Dun, 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 dun. Anyway, along comes one of the disciples. He's gonna free Jesus. He can take it upon himself. Peter, verse 51, verse 51, behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck a servant of the high priests and smote off his ear. It's Peter, here he comes. He's gonna rescue Jesus. And uh, John 18.10, John 18.10 tells us, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, smote the high priest's servants, cut off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. We got his name, we know. The group only had two swords. They said that, they only had two swords. One of those swords, unfortunately, <laughs> was held by Peter. 
And we can see Peter's feeling so powerful with that sharp sword in his hand. So when Christ is arrested, Peter raises up that sword over the head of the servant over Malchus, and with one mighty downward swoop of the sword, he cuts off the ear of Malchus. Now, let's understand something here. Peter was not trying to cut off the ear of Malchus. Peter was trying to make two Malchuses, a right one and a left one. He was trying to split right down the center of his head and cut him in two. That's what he was trying to do. But he missed. He missed. And he chops off the ear instead. So this scene, there stands Peter with his sword lowered, blood dripping off his sword, saying to himself, I missed. How could I miss? That's Peter. And there stands Malchus, blood gushing out of where his ear was, and there lays on the floor the ear of Malchus in a pool of blood. And there stands everyone in shock at the sight of it all. And there stands Jesus Christ, who in a calm majesty, complete control of the situation, calmly reaches down and picks up the bloody ear of Malchus and then leave it to Dr. Luke of the four gospels to give us the medical details in Luke 22:50. Luke 22:50, and one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear, and Jesus answered and said, suffer ye thus far, and he touched his ear and healed him. Jesus Christ reaches down, picks up the ear, puts it back up on Malchus, and instantly Malchus is healed as if his ear was never cut off. Now, what's amazing here, what's really, there's a lot of things that are amazing about this, this little um, vignette, this little scene here, but what's really amazing is that the crowd saw all of this. The crowd witnessed all of this, and they just saw Christ do something unbelievable, miraculous. They saw him replace the cutoff ear with just a touch. That ear was restored with that touch. What happened? The flesh was restored. The blood vessels were restored. The hearing was destroyed. All of it cleaned up, and you couldn't tell after he did that one moment that a minute ago, that was a bloody ear lying in a pool of blood on the ground. What a display of power of Jesus Christ. No one has ever done that before with an ear that was cut off. And they all saw it, and no one said, never man ever did that before. That was pretty unusual. Maybe we should rethink this arrest of Jesus. Maybe we should be worshiping Jesus. Truly, this man is God. Who could do such a thing? No one thought that. Why? Why did no one think that? Because their hatred of Jesus Christ blinded their eyes. They were blinded to the truth of who Jesus was. 2 Corinthians 3.14, 2 Corinthians 3.14, 
Their minds were blinded. How come nobody thought that with their mind? That he just, look what he just did with the ear. Let's think about that. Nobody thinking, why? Their minds were blinded, 2 Corinthians 3, 14. The problem with the lost is not that they don't have enough evidence to see the proof that Jesus Christ is God. The problem with the lost is that they're blind and they cannot see it. We're dealing with blind people and our prayer should be, Acts 9.12, Acts 9.12, our prayer should be for a lost person that he may receive his sight, Acts 9.12. And the first person who should have cried out, what are we doing to this man Jesus, was who? Who's Malchus? He's the one who should have led the whole, the whole, let's reconsider this. He was the one whose ear was restored. But even Malchus, he wasn't amazed. But Peter was amazed. Peter was amazed that he missed. That's what he was amazed at. I missed the head of Malchus. And Jesus was amazed that Peter did that because Peter says to him, leave things alone, Peter. Don't try to fix this, leave it alone. But that didn't stop Peter from wondering how he missed. And the reason that Peter missed is because God withheld Peter from doing more damage just as God withheld Abimelech, a king of Philistines, from touching Abraham's wife. Genesis 20, verse six, Genesis 20, verse six. God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. God was saying to Abimelech, like, I kept you back from doing more damage. God only knows how often we are withheld from doing more damage. We are withheld from sinning against God. Just like Peter, he missed his shot. He missed it. And when we see Peter trying to kill Malchus, we see a man with a lot of zeal. Oh, did he have zeal, Peter. Peter was Mr. Zeal, a lot of zeal. And Peter, in that state of all that zeal, he represents the religious Jewish people, the religious Jewish people. Peter had a lot of zeal. There was just one problem with Peter and his zeal. He didn't have knowledge. He was without knowledge. And Christ had tried to give Peter knowledge and say to Peter, Peter, it's necessary for me to die for sins. He'd already gone over that several times in the past with Peter, but Peter would not accept that knowledge of God. So Peter had a knowledge, had a zeal without knowledge. He had a zeal without knowledge. And God had told the Jewish people many times in the Bible that Jesus Christ was God who became a man, the Messiah man, who would die for sins. But the Jewish people did not accept that knowledge of God. And the religious Jewish people have a lot of zeal for God. They wear yarmulkes. They wear yarmulkes on their head, which do what? Mark them out as Jews. And just recently at a restaurant, in a Jewish section of Los Angeles, which is at Beverly and La Cienega, near Beverly and La Cienega in LA, 
There were Jewish people wearing a yarmulke in a restaurant, and so what happened? Arabs went into that restaurant and they beat them up. They beat them up because they're wearing yarmulkes. Do you think that stops them from wearing yarmulkes? No, why? They have a lot of zeal. They have a lot of zeal, but without knowledge, which is what the Bible says about them in Romans 10.1, Romans 10.1, where Paul says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.